Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. It's that time of year when we're having beautiful weather and people are thinking about maybe being more active, although it's like 900 degrees <laughs> here today. But maybe not today uh, for outdoor activity, but people are getting more uh, active. They're thinking about if they're runners, they're thinking about their fall races. If they're high school athletes, you know, conditioning is just around the corner if it's not already here. <laughs> so today we really wanted to talk about sports dietetics and neither lawyer and I are, are experts in this area. So we thought we would bring an expert to you. Today we have a certified specialist in sports dietetics, Dawn Holmes, uh, who's going to talk about some of the most interesting topics related to some, uh, some sports issues uh, and nutrition and maybe some things that you didn't know, maybe things and things that are a bit controversial. So we appreciate having her here and we will get here right after the, the intro. So before we get to Don, thank you so much for holding on here, Don, for just a second. We did want to kind of revisit our last podcast in case yeah. you missed it. We yes. talked about some controversies around oils. Right. If you have not listened to that, listen to this one first <laughs> and then go back and listen to our canola and coconut oil controversies. You know, I, nutrition is so funny because we make such a big deal about individual ingredients and we get really caught up in individual ingredients and you know somehow these oils are inflammatory or toxic and yeah. and really we don't just eat oil in isolation right <laughs> you know generally and you know i can see where maybe some people are concerned about you know okay something's made with canola oil but if it's made with a lot of sugar and canola oil then maybe it isn't the healthiest choice but canola right. oil itself even though it's uh, from a cultivar of rapeseed oil, which can be toxic, canola oil is not rapeseed oil. Right. Um, it's a, just a, basically a different version of it, and there's nothing toxic about that. And we also talked about coconut oil, and of course, coconut oil, I think maybe Dawn will agree with us on that, this was very hot, maybe five or six years ago, maybe 10 years ago, everybody was using coconut oil. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe it's fallen out of favor just a little bit. But just a reminder, again, it's a saturated fat. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't eat it or that right. you can't use it. But, you know, you want to limit the amount that you use. And there's nothing magical about coconut oil. Right. In terms of what it's going to do for your body. And it's just there's no magic to it. Right. Again, a lot of what we think about with nutrition is how are we using these oils? What are we using them in? Mm -hmm. A cake mix with canola oil is still a cake mix. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but your right. like canola oil on your vegetables is fine. You know? So right. like, you know, and I think so again, if you haven't listened to that and you can mm -hmm. even go back one more podcast and talk and listen to us talk about olive oil, uh, again, catch those on the recap after yep. we finish today's podcast. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for doing that, Amy. Okay. So today I'm very excited to introduce a friend of mine, Don Holmes, and we've been uh, dietitian friends for a long time. And I am very excited to have her in my world because as Amy said in the beginning, I am not an expert in sports nutrition. And so I love to be able to send somebody to the expert. And uh, so 
Don, I will let you take it from here and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been an athlete my whole life, mm. and that really influenced my desire to pursue this. I had some personal experiences where I think probably every athlete has had this where maybe they did something too close to when they were competing or they didn't do enough and it was too long. And so the consequences of that, and then that, that episode impacts many future practices or competitions. Hmm. So I wanted to make sure that when I am working with clients, I'm helping them to avoid those mistakes so that all the hard work and all the time and effort that they're putting into their training is going to shine through in their performance. I think we all have sort of ideas of what we need to do and we've read different things, but it's helpful to talk to somebody who knows you, knows your training schedule, your own personal preferences and kind of what your life is like. So my role is I am the sports dietitian for Ohio Health Sports Medicine. And I work with our athletic trainers, and we have athletic trainers in many of the schools in central Ohio, both high school and college, and even different club teams as well. So I'm their resource, and I spend a lot of time going out and speaking to teams, which I really enjoy. Then the other piece is we have a runner's clinic as well through Ohio Health. It's a multidisciplinary team. We do a gait analysis, we do a functional movement screen, there's a nutrition assessment where we really give you personalized guidance. During COVID, it was pretty sad because there weren't any races and that's sort of <laughs> for strategizing, for fueling, we need a race, some sort of competition to prepare for. What do you do before, during, and after? I'm just going out for a run. It's not nearly as much fun, but now, those are returning and it's been really fun to strategize and give people some really concrete strategies. And when I'm working with folks one-on-one, -on -one, that's through my own practice, which is called real life fuel. I love that you talked about the runner's clinic. I have always wanted to go to that. Is doc I used to see Dr. Bright there back in the day, my early days of running when I would screw up my IT band and things like that. I love, love that man. Yes. Um, so Dr. Bright is at our new Albany office now, but we will be opening a new performance clinic in New Albany and our runner's clinic will be there and we have all kinds of bells and whistles and services available. So it'll be pretty cool when it opens. That's awesome. You know, I agree with you when people were not, you know, COVID has put a crimp in a lot of people's athletic ambitions, myself included. It's <laughs> hard to run a run when there's no race to train for. And, and I agree with that. Yeah. I love that you talk about your role too in making sure people don't make the mistakes maybe that you have made or that you've seen others make and how that affects their athletic performance. That's, that's a good lead in. What are the most common things that you see maybe, you know, from, you know, we, even before we came on the air tonight, we talked about kind of that day to day fueling, maybe just, you know, I, and like you said, it's not just the day of competition, but it's what you do prior to. Sure. So there's sort of like around training before, during, and after. 
and we focus on that. But we also focus on sort of like, what's your foundational fueling, fueling? Like, what are you doing day to day? Because that really needs to be solid because that's providing the bulk of your fuel and your nutrition. And so I feel like with the day to day, sometimes it seems that I'm repeating the same sort of message over and over where eating consistently throughout the course of the day. So starting with fuel, you can think of your body as like a battery. It needs to be charged for it to work properly. And with sports nutrition, we're fueling and just day-to-day nutrition. I work with a lot of student athletes. So we're fueling and even adult like recreational athletes. So we're fueling the body and we're also fueling our brain, right? We need carbohydrates to fuel our brain. And when we are training, that brain needs to be fully engaged to be learning the plays, to be responding quickly, to be thinking through like, what's your next move to keep pushing, you know, in marathons, they talk about the wall, but if you are properly fueled, there is no wall. Mm -hmm. You just plow right through it. And you're like, what wall? So (laughs) I love that stuff. So if we're eating consistently throughout the course of the day, so every three to four hours, and I find a lot of people are like light during the day, they, they maybe have breakfast and then they have lunch and then nothing. And then it's dinner and they're starving when they get home. And physiologically, you don't have a lot of control over what you're choosing to put into your body at that point. And then at the end of the day, you sort of have this deficit. And so you're sort of munching and hungry and kind of catching up but not really making the best food choices. So if we can kind of even things out through the course of the day, and then when we are eating, we want to make sure that we have some sort of energy food. So that's carbohydrates to fuel both the muscles and the brain. And then also some sort of protein and fat, that protein to help rebuild and repair the muscle. And we need X amount for the day, but our body uses it really well if we can put it in consistently. So if we can do that, you know, like breakfast and think about the timing between breakfast and lunch, how much time is that? Do we need a morning snack, lunch? And if you are training in the afternoon, you absolutely need some sort of snack before training. And depending on how close that timing is. So generally we're student athletes. We're doing lunch at school and that could be like 1030, 1045, or it could be like one o'clock. So you may need a couple snacks in the morning, or you may just need a light, or if you eat late, you may just need a light snack before practice. But ideally, if it's been a couple hours since lunch, we want that powerful pair, those carbs and protein. And then something to kind of just top off your tank, top off that battery before you go out into practice. So those are like the simple carbohydrates that you don't, not a lot of fiber, They don't take a lot of chewing. Your body can just digest and absorb them quickly. So like classic like pretzels or graham crackers, bananas. Um, I love fig bars. Like these are things. And I think that practicing with those foods during practice, because then you figure out how much, what time. So a handful of pretzels as I'm changing to go out to practice. Or maybe I need a little bit more, and so I'm doing, like, a cliff bar, like, half an hour to 45 minutes before, Mm -hmm. and then I'm heading out. Um, I'm also sipping on some, like, water or maybe some Gatorade. 
And then I know in a game situation when I'm nervous that my body is used to these foods and maybe I don't eat them in the same speed, but I want to keep that similar timing. So I'm going to eat that cliff bar about half an hour before and sip on my fluids and I'll be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that piece, we, I mean, talking to our athletic trainers, we see kids coming out to practice all the time. They're dizzy and passing out and lightheaded. And they're like, when did you eat? <laughs> well, I had like some, a bagel for lunch. What about before that? I had, you know, like there, some of them, it's just a struggle and it's, it's not on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um, others, they love to eat and it's, they're not going to miss a meal. But I think a lot of times as a high school athlete, it's just not on your radar. Yeah, right? I agree. <laughs> so then if we continue, like before practice, we have that like carb-based snack. During practice, we want to make sure we're hydrating. This is in addition to just your day-to-day fluid needs. As an adult, it's about half your body weight is about how many ounces you need for the day. If you're like a teen or youth, like that eight to 10 cup rule is kind of a good rule of thumb. And that could be, doesn't have to be water. It could be any sort of like milk, juice, juicy, like fruit that is juicy Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in the winter, like soups. So that fluid is important while you're there. And then afterwards, if it's going to be a while till you have a meal, then to try to get a recovery in. Um, and I'm pretty sure you've, if you have done any sort of athletic event, maybe chocolate milk has appeared at the end. <laughs> I can remember the very first time I saw it at the end of a race and I was like, that is disgusting. Ah. Why would I drink? Why would I drink milk now? And I remember it was like super cold and I drank it and I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. (laughs) It's nice and cold. Yeah. It is really sort of like the perfect combination of what your body needs. Yeah. Four pieces to refueling. You want to recovery. Sorry. So one, you want to refuel your muscles with carbs. You need lots of them. Two, you want to repair the muscles, so you need protein. Three, you want to rehydrate, so that's fluids. And four, rest. That's like when you go to bed at mm-hmm. night. So for teen athletes, like nine to ten hours. And during the school year, that can be a real challenge because yeah. there's a lot of time management and self-discipline that needs to be in place to have that happen. Right. I had an, an adult that I was working with who – that was his big takeaway from our first session is just he needed more sleep. And he came back to me a couple weeks later. He was like, that was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> I feel so much better. Like, okay, fantastic. Great. He's like, I'm getting eight hours of sleep every night. It's making such a Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you mentioned carbs. I mean, this is one of those controversial topics as we have all lived and continue to live through low carb bill. And are you seeing athletes trying to, and I've read enough about this with runners. I mean, are there, do you see success with people who are restricting carbohydrates and their athletic performance? Not usually. Yeah. I thought so. you would do that, <laughs> but I just wanted to check my sanity because, you know, I had been reading, I had read in, I think, Runner's World several years ago about people who are training low carb, but of course, what did they do two to three days before the race? 
Perfect. And that's sort of the strategy. Yes. Like you kind of do some fat adaptation and then you carb load. I think that as an overall lifestyle and way of eating, it's very difficult to maintain to stay in that low carb arena and to still like food is such a good, such a big part of our socialization that just becomes a really difficult way to eat. We know through tons and tons of research that your muscles use carbohydrate as their primary fuel source and so does the brain. And by providing adequate amounts during, before and during competition, especially long duration competition, so generally over an hour you want to provide some and if you're over two and a half hours then you probably need like 90 grams of carbohydrate an hour between like one and a half to two hours 60 grams is adequate and then so yes and even like with the runner's clinic yes i am always surprised how many people come in and like i'm trying to reduce my carbs i'm trying to lose weight so I think that if it is a weight loss strategy and you're also trying to perform, it's sort of counterproductive because in order for you to perform at a high intensity, which burns more calories, you have to use carbs as fuel. When you utilize fat as a fuel source, that is more a lower intensity, 60, 65% VO2 max, whereas carbs is a higher VO2 max. So... so are you seeing like, I mean, the other thing I'm seeing is people who are trying to fast prior to exercise. So do you, you know, if you're a morning exerciser and I, you know, I'm like this a little bit of a touchy gut, you know, I don't like to eat a lot before I exercise. I mean, what are your recommendations for people who don't want to get up or eat for whatever reason, either don't yeah. or can't eat something before they exercise? Sure. So I think that's sort of, individualized for the person. I think my recommendation generally is, okay, sure. You can try, like if you want to exercise on a, in, in a fasted state, you can try it and see how that works. And if that feels like that's the only way to do it. Okay. I think that your intensity and focus and ability to sustain that exercise will be enhanced if you're able to do something. So maybe that's just like, I ate a couple like squares of graham cracker or I ate a couple pretzels or I took some sips of Gatorade or Powerade like because otherwise right you're in a fasted state your blood sugar is lower you're not going to be able to focus or concentrate as well because also the ability of your brain to focus is less so I think it's always trying to like okay what could we try and then you tell me how that feels and I can remember a particular runner coming through at the beat when we had first started runners clinic. And I was like, well, what if you just try like eating a great, a graham cracker on the way to the gym? She was kind of like, okay. And then she did it. And she's like, wow, that made a lot of difference. I feel a lot better. So it's kind of like, well, what if you just try it and see what happens? I don't think, I don't think there will be a negative outcome, but there could be a positive. Yeah. I love that. You know, just, everyday exercise too. And I, I even feel just like for that, there's some advantage to making the most out of your workout. If you're, and I know, you know, having fuel helps you in your workout to, perf to, to 
get the most of what you need out of that workout. And it's like you're wasting your time if you're going into it and you're not fueled properly. You you could be just spinning your wheels. And I think that gets back to what you were saying earlier, too. And, and one of the things that I see a lot with my clients that are trying to lose weight and trying to work out at the same time and having that conversation about, like you said, that it's nearly impossible to have both. You, yes. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have a woman come in to meet with me and she's under fueling below her resting metabolic rate. And there's no way you're going to be able to lose weight that way. And so I'm like, I'm going to tell you something that you're going to think I'm crazy, but I need you to eat more. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you when I want you to do that and kind of how to do it. So we do that like every three to four hours. We make sure we're pairing carbs and protein. And we really make sure that there's adequate protein to support the muscle that she has to provide satiety Also to keep those carbs, because when you don't have them, your sweet tooth goes crazy and you can't, then you're just craving, you know, the cookies and the sweets. And that's, I mean, that's how your body's going to get them because you're not listening to it the other way. Mm -hmm. But if you put in, so there's the athlete's plate, which is like a protein, a grain or starch and a vegetable, kind of this trifecta on the plate. So if we can do that for our meals, that's such a great template for how to have balance. There's not like this huge steak taking over the plate. There's not like a pile of spaghetti. They all have their spot and it's relatively equal. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're doing more of a weight loss focus, those vegetables take up half the plate. And I know for a lot of people, that's a big challenge, but they have a lot more fiber and they fill you up but you still have that protein and grain to kind of be that satiety piece. And like mood, tends to be more even (laughs) just feeling how you feel about yourself tends to be better. We don't see the pounds like fall off because we know with women, that's really a challenge. Mm -hmm. Just like what we do see though is body composition shifting where maybe my pants fit better. Um, they're not so tight in the waist or in the quads, or maybe they are tighter in the quads because I've been able to lift more. And so now I have more strength there. Yeah. But that, those kind of shiftings where maybe that number doesn't change, but the way things are fitting and how you're feeling is different. Yes. I love that you mentioned protein. This is something that I think gets maybe over talked about a little bit with, with athletes. I have had more than one request for a diet plan for a kid who wants to put on muscle. Um, yeah. You know, I know it's not just protein. What is the, what is the secret? Oh my goodness. So I have had several, so high school boys typically are like collegiate athletes who are males. Typically they're all, they're looking to get bigger and stronger and to build that muscle because as, like it, as an athlete, you need that bulk and strength to do your position and to excel. And so what I see often is that we're just not consuming enough calories and we need that protein, but we don't need nearly as much as we think we do. We need, if you think about sort of the big picture, we need a third of the plate to have that protein. And then we need a third of it to be the carbs. And then we need that third to be vegetables. 
and that's really maybe like three to four ounces at a time. It could be more. Like if we're shooting for a 4,000 or 5,000 calorie day, about 15% of that, um, 12 to 15% of those calories, 55% should come from carbs because those carbs are going to fuel the intensity of those lifting workouts, of those two-day workouts for football, that baseball practice, that lacrosse practice, or even just that lifting, hour and a half of lifting where you're doing that high intensity. And so we're like, I have one athlete that I've been working with for almost two years now. And he came to me and they always, it seems like they have these very lofty goals. Like I want to put on 30 pounds of muscle. Okay, well, let's just start making sure we're getting adequate fuel. You have to be in the weight room. You have to be following a program for lifting because that's the only way that you will gain that muscle. And then doing that, are you eating every three to four hours? What are you eating? How can we add food to that? And so this one athlete, he plays football and baseball. The way we added calories was really chocolate milk. Let's put a glass with breakfast. Let's put a glass with lunch. Let's do it for a recovery after a workout. Let's do it for dinner. And then before you go to bed, and this was part of that like whole day, that like evening snack before bed is sort of like your final recovery. And to do it as a dairy-based snack, that casein protein in the dairy is a slow release, and so it works really well while you're sleeping. So cottage cheese, yogurt, uh, cereal and milk would all be great. And so he would do like a glass of milk before bed. So you add up enough chocolate milk, that's easily maybe a couple thousand calories that we've added to his day and made a big difference. He's, he's gaining rapidly. He had a couple growth spurts. And I learned this from one of our athletic trainers is that whenever you grow an inch, it's six pounds that your body like a bone and muscle and additional blood volume. I thought that was fascinating. That is so fascinating. When, when we're talking with our teen and adolescent athletes and how for our guys, like it's probably no big deal to gain weight, but for our ladies that can be really distressing if there's some body image type of things. And even for, you know, if we have guys who are in more of the like physique type sports too. So to help them realize like, yes, you're growing, but when you're growing, it's not just you're gaining body fat, like you're gaining muscle and bone and you have more blood volume. And yes, like you don't want to look like your eighth grade self when you graduate from high school and like helping them to have better expectations of how their body is going to be changing and what's realistic. I do a lot of talking about that with um, high school athletes. Now you had mentioned for women and girls that you see a lot of like underfeeding, what kinds of like warning system, like signs should they look out for to know like, are they getting enough calories? Sure. So often with female athletes, we sort of look at the day-to-day fueling, but one of the easy ways with a female athlete is just how consistent is their menstrual cycle. And I it's pretty commonly accepted that if you're in season and you don't have your cycle, it's no big deal. However, it is a big deal because your body needs X amount of fuel, but you're only giving it maybe three quarters of what it, your battery is like three quarters charged, maybe half charged. And so one of the ways your body prioritizes its functions is, well, we don't need to reproduce right now. 
So we'll turn that part off because, you know, hormonal fluctuations, that piece is energy requiring. But when we turn that off, that estrogen is really important for calcium deposition in the bone and strengthening those bones. It's also really important in terms of cardiac function. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have that cycle, then our hearts, our bones aren't going to function as well. It's kind of like, I feel like one place I saw, they were sort of like, it's sort of like your VO2 max. Like you need that estrogen so that you can perform at a high intensity. So there's something called the female and the male athlete triad or tetrad. There's also something called relative energy deficiency in sport. And it's basically your body needs X amount of fuel to grow and develop, to be social, academic, and to do all this training, but you're only giving it half or a third of what it, or three quarters of what it needs. And that gap there is the deficiency. And so there are health consequences and there are performance consequences And performance-wise, it could be like an athlete who starts the season tip-top shape and ends the season injured, exhausted, wiped out. Yeah. And that's not what anybody wants to do. They want to be stronger and faster by the end. Right. Yeah. And then also, too, just psychologically, like you're more cranky and tired. And if you're under-fueling, your brain isn't working properly. And so you can't learn and act as quickly. You recover slower. So... I think sometimes athletes are afraid to fuel completely because they think they'll gain a bunch of weight. But what you will do is you'll be able to refuel your muscles with carbohydrates. You'll be able to grow your muscle so that you have more power and strength. And so you can pound down the field and sprint down the field so much faster. Yeah. And have, have such a more powerful body. Yep. I think that that's something that I, I agree. There's a, a fear of waking. There's a desire, especially for sort of recreational athletes. The reason they are exercising sometimes is to lose weight. What, in your opinion, is the role of exercise in weight loss? You know, I think sometimes it's overvalued. But what do you, I mean, what do you, like you said, is it performance? Is it, is it, weight loss, why are you exercising, and what role do you see being active in weight loss? Sure. So I feel like there's like a million different ways to answer that. (laughs) I think that weight, we know that diet and exercise are synergistic, so they work best together. And I have a client who, for example, is a strength athlete and wanted to improve body composition and have been, you know listening to the podcast and reading everything and trying everything and just stuck. And so he started working out with his trainer and then he added the sports nutrition piece. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, like increased muscle, reduced body fat, dramatic. I, he had a DEXA before we started and a DEXA three to six months later. And I had to call the tech and be like, do you see this very often? It was like an X. Wow. Amazing. So when you say so, DEXA scan, just so people know, like you're talking so, about. Yes. So this is sort of like a full body x-ray and it gives you both bone density, but also body composition. So lean mass, muscle mass, body fat, and then you can repeat that. Generally, six months is advisable because it is a low dose x-ray. 
Right. It gives us the most accurate information. But I think back to that exercise piece, I think it depends, like, if exercise is incredibly good for our mental health. And so if we are focused on weight, we need to be partnering our exercise and our fueling so they work well together and making sure that we are well-fueled for our exercise, but we're not going to cover all the calories that we're expending through that exercise. Right. And what we may do is we may really cushion that exercise with fuel before and after. So we fuel well, we recover well, and then maybe the rest of the day we sort of taper back kind of how much, but we want to make sure that we keep that protein emphasis, but not domination, <laughs> if that makes sense. So we yeah. still have that trifecta on our plate and it's the carb piece that we adjust. And I'm almost afraid to say it, but we do reduce the carbs slightly. So there may be like a quarter of the plate protein is a quarter. And then we have that huge, like half a vegetable section, but then we add more carbs before and after training mm -hmm. so that we fuel the muscle before and we refuel it after. So it's ready to go again the next time. I love that. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, I've, I, I've read enough about running and nutrition now that the, the concern people have is, oh, I, I gained weight training for my marathon or I am hungrier I, when I'm running than when I'm not active. How do you how do you advise people for that? Sure. So sometimes we inadvertently reward ourselves like, wow, did you see how many miles I ran today? So I'm going <laughs> to. I can do X, Y, and Z. And so maybe we're not as uh, careful. Maybe we're a little bit more indulgent. And so we sort of recoup what we expended or in terms of I'm starving afterwards. So yes, that's like you did. Maybe you didn't put that recovery in immediately. And if you're doing you know, over an hour and a half of running two hours, then you get that recovery in as soon as you can, ideally, like hopefully within an hour. And then a couple hours later, you do a meal. And then a couple hours later, maybe you do another one so that you are putting in additional recovery. So the next day you're not starving all day and miserable and or so super sore either. Yeah. So those things, I hear it and we have a solution for that. <laughs> we call it at our house, run grief. Uh, and eating all the things. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I agree with you because I think that I see a lot of, and again, this is just personal experience too, that if I'm not fueling well during the day from a day-to-day -day perspective, when I do have a longer training session, I do come home and I feel like I'm so hungry. I'm just reaching for things because I am so hungry. Mm -hmm. If I come home with a planned recovery, if I had something ready to go that was my planned recovery, I would have been in better shape than just like getting home and oh my gosh, I need cookies and bagels and those types of things to mm -hmm. put back in my muscles. I will say that when we are doing these long endurance events, so half marathon maybe, but full marathon into the half Ironman, Ironman, the ultras, when we do that carb loading the two to three days before, you will have weight gain because when you store those carbohydrates in your muscle, you're also storing water. 
that is, you're not gaining three to four pounds of fat. You're gaining three to four pounds of endurance yeah. and oh, I like um, that. <laughs> carbohydrate, direct fuel to the muscle where it's going to be used. Nice. Yeah. I love the three to four pounds of endurance. What a yeah. Great <laughs> <laughs> because again, it is distressing if you have an athlete who's weighing themselves every right. day. Yeah. Um, and you may feel puffy and I would, I would not advocate weighing yourself that frequently. Yeah. And that's so, yeah, people want yeah. themselves super frequently, and I, I can see that. Yeah. I think there was something we mentioned earlier, too, where fueling during and maybe like, oh, maybe I don't really need that, but I ran the half a couple years ago, and at mile 12, you know, it's a half, so 13.1. At mile 12, I was due for another gel, and I was like, do I do it? Do I not? I'm like, well, yeah, because... I'm tired and I need whatever it takes to kick it in this last mile. So yes, do it. It's just 24 grams of carbohydrate. It's really not, but your muscles and your brain will be like, thank you so much. Yeah. Can now finish. Yeah. No, I, I, when I, I did a full marathon and I remember finishing with like half my fuel still in my belt because I wasn't feeling good at, you know, mile 19. <laughs> and I'm like, I really don't want to eat anything. And I remember finishing with all of this fuel. I'm like, this was a huge mistake. I didn't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Really practicing a lot with that fueling. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of times people are just underdoing it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm working with a gentleman who's going to be competing in World's Ironman. And he, we have been focusing on just like day-to-day -day fuel adequacy and he he did his first competition and he's like, I was stronger now than I usually am in the middle of the season. And he qualified. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Any recommended resources, you know, if they can, if somebody can't come and see a sports dietitian for some reason, obviously you're the ideal situation to have a work with a sports dietitian. Yeah. Let's say somebody is kind of on their own. Are there go-to books or resources that are definitely something that people should pick up? Absolutely. So my favorite resource for just like the lay public is Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. She's a so easy to read, yes. super practical, yes. great, great info. She also has a blog, which is also very nice. She, I think it's on the sixth edition of this book. Yes. Yeah. It's been out forever. I, yeah. I have a good guide for marathoners, too. Yeah, she has, like, cycling and soccer. and yep. mm -hmm. Nice. Great. The other resources would be, oh, shoot, through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. My You're right. saying it right. <laughs> there used to be a specialty practice group called SCAN, but now it's something else. Yeah. And I should remember, but they just changed this last year. It's Shippen or something like SHPN. They have some good resources, and you can search for a sports dietitian there. There's also CPSDA, which is Collegiate Professional Sports Dietitians Association. They have fantastic website with lots of great infographics and handouts for okay. all the sports. Oops. Highly recommend that one. And if you don't have a pencil or pen handy as you're listening to this, we will include all of these links in our show notes. So yes. do not. Yes. Um, no worries. I'm glad to know I'm on the right track because all of those websites, 
I use them all. Yeah. So great. <laughs> sure. That makes me feel like, okay. And uh, the other one I've done is, is that's the sportsrd.org, right? That's the CP. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that yes. one. Yes. That one's yep. very good. There's a couple in the show notes. I'm going to include a couple Instagram accounts for like teen athletes. They're okay. very, very good. Um, and so I don't need to repeat what they're doing because they're already doing it. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> and then the other piece is just so when you're looking for someone, the CSSD certified specialist in sports dietetics. So they are a registered dietitian and then they have gone on and gotten this specialty certification, which requires an additional 1500 hours of practice working with athletes and an exam Every five years. Every yeah. Every five years. I just took my third exam. So <laughs> congratulations. It is a relatively new it's probably been just the last twenty years. So it's relatively new. And when you're working with a CSSD, you know that they have the experience because they have to, have to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good and to I know. I think it's great because there's a lot of um, I'm sure in all areas of nutrition, misinformation, sports is ripe for this. Yes. Um, people are listening to trainers instead of dietitians and people who are not qualified or who have minimal nutrition certification from some other organization. And I think getting back to that registered dietitian, particularly that specialist in sports dietetics is so important for athletes. And I appreciate that, you know, you are able to, have that relationship with those athletes. I think that's just tremendous. Thank you. I think one of the things that I emphasize too is when we're on social media, we're seeing only the beautiful people usually. And when I'm out in the world, I've been looking around more closely. I'm like, you know what? These are regular people. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, sure we may be attractive, but we are not like polished. We are regular people doing our regular stuff and Mm -hmm. trying the best that we can. And yeah. so yeah. when you're following things, try to adjust your expectations. Do they look like you? Do they have the same goals? Are they the same age? Are they a high school athlete? Are they a collegiate athlete? Mm-hmm. What sort of resources do they have? And then if you are feeling worse about yourself, then you probably need to follow somebody else. I love that. Yep. Good point. <laughs> well, thank well, you for joining us this evening, Yeah, Dawn, thank you, Dawn. I, I'm going to have, I would like to have you back because <laughs> <laughs> it's tremendous and there's so much more I want to talk about with sports. I think this is so great. Again, if you have questions for Dawn, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at dish at secretlikerd.com. Uh, and if we have questions, we'll pass them on to Dawn, and then we'll share them with you as our listeners. If you have ideas for other shows, we'd love to hear those as well. Again, dish at secretliferd.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the Secret Life Dietitians. And we will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts.